0: Hey, if you think you might be lost because you got lots of your thoughts, I'll be informed. Or if you're feeling like a fool because you've been used just like a tool since you were born. Hey, if you're trying to get through life, then friend, I've got some great advice for not growing horns. They say that ignorance is bliss, but if you knew, then you'd be pissed, so get informed. The end of Marxism? Welcome to A Leftist Lip Podcast. I'm a host, Colin Orton, he, they. Who are you? I'm the question mark at the end of Marxism. Al Gropey they,
1: them. Um, and today we are going into chapter eight of Michael Parenti's the Blackshirts and Dreads, entitled The End of Marxism, with the Scooby-Doo ears. Um, but, first, uh-huh. I, uh-huh. <laughs> but first, I believe we ask new.
0: Boy do we uh have you heard of Idaho?
1: I've I've heard the name, yes. Oh, for reference to the listener, it is currently September 27th. We are recording this on the same day as the last card recording, so
0: Yeah. So, University of Idaho issued uh some 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 new guidance to its staff members regarding abortion and the state's abortion ban. Okay. Uh, the school is no longer uh, no longer offering birth control to students. Okay. And staff members, if they appear to be too pro-abortion or if they promote abortion, could face a felony charge.
1: Oh, okay. So, so when they said depoliticize education, they really did mean center right. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah. Quote from the Washington Post. If an employee appears to promote abortion, counsel in favor of abortion, or refer a student for an abortion procedure, they could face a felony conviction and be permanently barred from all future state employment.
1: What the fuck? What the fuck? So now it's not even people who perform abortions. It's just anyone who supports
0: it. Anyone who, like... Verbally. Mm -hmm. Anyone who says that a student should get one or tells them how.
1: This is... Knowledge shouldn't be criminal.
0: This is small government. This is what small government looks like, Al. Uh, This is... The small government conservatives are at it again. They...
1: Someone protect our small government conservatives.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Just fuck. Speaking of... uh, Fuck. Uh, There was a recent interview between Chair of the Federal Reserve, Jerome Powell. Uh, It was a press conference on September 21st, 2022. Ken Klippenstein, absolute incredible journalist. Okay. Highlighted on his Twitter, Chair Powell's extremely informative answer to a question posed by Edward Lawrence from Fox Business. The question. So you said that Americans and businesses need to feel some economic pain as we go forward. How long from here should Americans be prepared for that economic pain? Mm -hmm. Um, Chair Powell, how long? I mean, it really depends on how long it takes for wages and more than that for prices to come down, for inflation to come down. Essentially, Powell is outlining the plan by the General Reserve to combat inflation there, By ensuring that wages and prices go down.
1: So just everyone has less money. Correct. And there's no discernible timeline
0: for when this is going to actually show. So remember, how you combat inflation is not by taxing the wealthy. It is by lowering wages.
1: Oh, boy.
0: That's from the Federal fucking Reserve.
1: Oh, my God. We're going to make things cheaper by making everyone poorer.
0: The U.S. government's plan to deal with inflation is to tank workers' wages.
1: That makes no sense. It doesn't, I don't, have, I don't have a smart thing to say, I'm mad. Well,
0: this is, again, one of the really nice things about sort of the, the, the Marxist outline that Parenti puts forward in our reading, hmm. uh, the rational fascism uh, outline, which is, oh, it does make sense. Not if you listen to what he's saying, but if you watch what he's doing, mm. we're in sort of the biggest workers' rights moment in decades in the U.S. And the, the Federal Reserve has just announced a plan to combat inflation or not announced a plan, but the chair of the Federal Reserve said in a press conference that in order to combat in inflation, we need to target wages,
1: a.k.a. target workers. To reverse the dynamic between labor and landlord slash business owner in the business owner's favor. Yes. Great, love it, cute, fun. Hate it, fuck.
0: Um. Yeah. This comes on top of comments by I believe it was by Powell regarding unemployment. Oh my, uh, Saying yeah. that unemployment is too low right now.
1: I remember when we talked about
0: this, and I mm-hmm. got just as angry. Yeah. Uh, because inflation is happening because wages are too high and unemployment is too low.
1: Grr, how dare the th- the actual conditions of workers be slightly advantage- advantageous?
0: Well, they're fucking not. They're not like, even. True. <laughs> conditions true. for workers suck right now. And that's why we're having this big labor push. Mm-hmm. Like, this is reaction this is pro corporate reaction by the federal reserve bullshit
1: thanks brandon
0: <laughs> sorry no brandon anyway uh the dark brandon rises <laughs> the dark brandon
1: rises sequel to the dark knight uh have we any other dramatic te- cost, costly news that's going to make me sad
0: that's mostly it
1: I'm sure something will happen in the time between when we're recording this and
0: when we post it. Oh, if our, if our past record is anything to go by, something huge will happen in about four hours after we finish recording.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it.
0: We cannot feasibly be on top of
1: a 24 hours news cycle like this. Like even if we were recording every day, we'd be missing shit.
0: Oh yeah. So, uh, I'm just looking through this, this, uh, Transcript to see if I missed anything. And apparently unemployment's at a 50 year low.
1: Jesus. That's kind of, I mean, that's good, right? Or it's near
0: a 50 year low. That is good. Correct. Not according to the federal reserve.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Well, I can suck it. Yeah. And yet you hear that whole,
0: Oh, nobody wants to work anymore. Like bro. Yeah. Here's a quote from chair Powell on that. Uh, We have always understood that restoring price stability while achieving a relatively modest decline or rather increase in unemployment and a soft landing would be very challenging. And we don't know. No one knows whether this process will lead to a recession or if so, how significant that recession might be. (sighs) We're in a
1: recession.
0: It's not a recession if you don't call it one.
1: Well, what if I fucking am, Colin? What if me and hundreds of other people have identified that we are in a recession?
0: So, The End of Marxism by Michael Parenti. Ooh, transition game. We're almost done.
1: We're so close. Um, As we briefly discussed in the last recording, uh, this goes into how there's this belief that, oh, since Marxism failed in the Soviet Union, since that's gone, Marxism was wrong, just generally. But uh, Parenti points out that this claim is usually made by people who are critiquing more the, the optimists that were a little bit like maybe too zealous about Marx and Engels vision. The ones who said, Oh, under these conditions we'll have flowering economic and cultural growth. Like everyone's going to be great. And obviously we didn't see that in the Soviet union as much Um, where despite the fact that Marx's actual primary body of work, Capital, was not about the foundations of socialism, but a critique of capitalism. And pretty much all of the tenets that he lays out in that for how capitalism is going to expand and punish those under it have proven true. This is another chapter that's a lot of, yep, I see that,
0: yep. I feel like we're going to be doing that pretty consistently here.
1: We've reached the point in our podcasting careers quote unquote where we've read all this and we've seen all this and it's kind of me at least I am bitter and tired
0: I was I was talking to a friend about this stuff and about how sometimes to have a concept really click in your brain you need somebody to articulate it correctly you know like sometimes a concept we've read these concepts dozens of times but sometimes it doesn't fully click for you until you read it somebody right poses way. it a certain way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Until uh, like, for example, you know, all the policy choice shit we just talked about in the last episode um, or in, in the end of policing second edition in the, in the intro where it talks about gentrification as a policy choice, that has been my most recent eyes open sort of, Oh fuck. Uh, moment where where things that are sort of accepted as like phenomena that just kind of happen in a in a society, especially in a capitalist society, as it turns out, are actually distinct policy choices. Oh, boy. That's been my most recent eye opening moment. But we've had God dozens over the course of this show. And so I think it is always helpful to just sort of, you know, even if something addresses a concept you've read a million times before parentis perspective is super different from a lot of the reading we've done. Uh, And so I didn't mind terribly going through this. That being said, makes it a little difficult to talk about uh, Uh, for us because a lot of it is just us going, well, yeah, yeah, you know, uh, been there. (laughs) And this chapter also reinforces a lot of the stuff that we talked about last time regarding trickle-down economics doesn't work and never has worked and the people who said it worked lied yeah and, and it doesn't work in the u.s just like it doesn't work everywhere else
1: mm-hmm. and he does i mean for if for the reader who or for the listener who has not read um if you were wondering when Parenti was going to mention racism as a element of systemic like as an element of capitalism this is the chapter he mentions it which good thing he does because it's in intrinsic part of the capitalist system. Um so he does like include some new things and it is a new perspective. But as Colin was saying, yeah, it is yeah. And you know what? Let's get into it. So here are some of the sections, the sections in this chapter, and some of them, like Colin said, are pretty much covering what we talked about last week. But it's some durable basics, more right than wrong, more wealth, more poverty, trickle down into critical economics. Um, A Holistic Science and Learning to Ask Why. In Durable Basics, um, basically he outlines the relationship between, the relationship as Marx defines it, between human survival, labor, and capital. Mm -hmm. He defines what should be the relationship, aka what is the logical progression of these things, and then he outlines the capitalist Um, perspective of these things which you know human survival has the base material condition of you need food you need water you need a place to stay when the base materials require processing for consumption labor becomes a primary condition for survival but whereas in the natural order of things and I hate to use the word natural order just because of the connotations but in the logical progression of these It would then be, okay, we need base materials. We need labor to turn those base materials into usable goods. Therefore, the usable goods are capital. Instead of that, capitalism places capital before labor. Labor, instead of benefiting the individual who is giving the labor, benefits the capital of the person hiring them. It is beneficial to the hiring
0: class. Absolutely right. Yeah. It's, it's the, the, do you mind if I read the quote here? The, just point. Capitalist theorists present capital as a creative providential force. As they would have it, capital gives shape and opportunity to labor. Capital creates production, jobs, new technologies, and general prosperity. Marxists turn the equation around. They argue that of itself, capital cannot produce anything. It is the thing that pr- is produced by labor. Only human labor can create the farm and the factory, the machine and the computer. And in a class society, the wealth so produced by many is accumulated in the hands of relatively few who soon translate their economic power into political and cultural power in order to better secure the exploitative social order that so favors them.
1: Great, I had that one pulled too.
0: Yeah, I, I really, again, that clicked with me, I think. Uh, Especially the bit about um, translating economic power into political and cultural power, which we've addressed many times as uh, why the United States does not actually, in fact, have a democracy, because it was fully designed with the translation of economic power into political power in mind, given that, you know, the dudes who sort of designed the machine that is this country were extremely wealthy landlords uh, whose entire basis of freedom was built around property rights. mm mm-hmm. uh, So, of course, property rights then become leveraged into political power, and capital gets leveraged into political power by design.
1: hmm And that may sound to an average person irrational, but going back to rational fascism, I have this quote here. The first law of the market is to make the largest possible profit from other people's labor. Private profitability rather than human need is the determining condition of private investment. There prevails a rational systemization, systematization of human endeavor in pursuit of a socially irrational end. Accumulate, accumulate, accumulate.
0: So I really like that he did include like a Marxism 101 thing in yeah. here, because Parenti is a Marxist and sort of allowing us like, he sort of has been describing in the rational fascism section, especially the lens through which he looks at the world. And this book is all written through that lens. And then right about here, you know, about 85% of the way through the book, he hands the reader the lens. My headphones just fucking fell off my head. Uh, He hands the reader the lens and says, see what I mean? You take a look. Here are the rules. Here's what I think. And I think that that is, I don't know whether it's more effective than describing Marxism 101 right at the beginning, which he kind of does a little bit, but he doesn't go into as much detail as he does here. I really like that he does give that. And I think that that is a is a rhetorically sound way to do things. I think in service of his the point
1: of this entire book, which lest we forget, is to delineate fascism and communism, which have been conflated in the public eye, I think it does benefit to not necessarily give an outright definition of communism at the jump. Very. Presuming, presuming that the reader is walking in with the assumption that he's trying to combat that. Cap- this, yeah.
0: This book is framed as though it is written for like a liberal who thinks these two things are the same. Whether that is in fact the case is entirely... Uh, a different question and subject to debate, I think. But he yep. he has another really fun quote about um, <clears throat> conservative ideologues defend capitalism as the system that preserves cult- uh, culture, traditional values, the family, and community. Marxists would respond that capitalism has done more to undermine such things than any other system in history, given its wars, colonizations, forced migrations, its enclosures, restrictions, poverty, wages, child labor, homelessness, underemployment, crime, drug infestation, and urban squalor.
1: hmm Oh, no, but Colin, those are all just social ills that appear in every society. And it's really human nature. Heaven. Oh, uh, fuck human nature. i going to be a
0: bean. That's one of the really fun things about capitalism is everything that isn't good that capitalism creates is actually a flaw with human beings. Capitalism is, in fact, a perfect system. (laughs) Of course. And we've talked about this a few times, but it's really interesting that capitalism as culture, traditional values, family and community, and how in the U.S. that kind of is true, that capitalism defends our culture because our culture has been so obliterated mm. by being the center of the capitalist world order for like two hundred years, yeah, that like it kind of is culturally all we have left,
1: mm.
0: America's culturally capitalist, I guess if well, and be. uh and i had this I had this conversation with somebody recently, but like, especially for white Americans, yeah, because you know, the concept of whiteness obliterates individual cultures to assimilate you into whiteness Mm -hmm. and so it's it's that you get the whiteness card and the associated privileges but you kind of have to sacrifice a lot of individual cultural markers Mm -hmm. in order to become homogenized and part of the the hegemony
1: cultural Uh, marker markers that might perhaps um lead you to discover a new way of life that is not so family-based, so nuclear and like protect your own.
0: Uh, Alienating even. Ah, yes. But it's really fascinating that I think in the U S capitalism is in many ways, our culture and is the only thing uh, holding our culture together, you know, our, our treat based society uh, in which our, our consumerism and our ability to get nice things, fun TV shows, and the like, is kind of the only thing holding our society together. That's true. <laughs> like, we don't have a social safety net. We don't have health care. We don't have college. What we do have is, you know, Amazon Prime.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like. <laughs> It speaks to a lot of shit. Like, I mean, first of all, there's the whole American's cultural hegemony, where it's like American movies, American TV is what mm-hmm. mass produces our largest export, basically. Um, and you can tell through his writings, uh, especially when he mentions the mass production of commercials, and the earlier chapter where he's like, uh, all the books were suddenly Western, all of the products were suddenly Western. You can tell the parenti hates. What we would know today as mindless as like distractions, because so many, especially Gen Z, we just want to distract ourselves from the shit that is going on in our nation. Um, I actually heard a quote from Bo Burnham, regardless of like how you feel about him. I thought this quote was pretty poignant. He's like we get we get on kids for being on their phones constantly. Of course, they want to be on their phones. Look at the world we have made for them to look up at. They're going to want to be watching TikTok all day rather than confronting the reality of America as it is.
0: Not to, I saw a meme in two consecutive episodes. You and your memes. But I saw a meme uh, that was like, can I help you? <laughs> um, I saw a meme that was like, baby boomers are always asking people why they don't go outside. And then it's the outside they created and it's just like the eight lane highway with the huge Denny's sign. Like,
1: um,
0: anyway, we're getting pretty off track, but I think in this country are, we are culturally capitalist in a way that I think very few other countries are, uh, in that culture has been so destroyed for many Americans that conservative Americans in some ways understandably defend capitalism because it's like 80% of our culture.
1: Yeah, (laughs) I can feel, I can see that. Like if you're just working on a, if you're working day to day and someone's like, Hey, you know, McDonald's, you know, Dave and Buster's, you know, the NFL, all those things that you love and that carry you through the day. That's not culture. That's a result of global capitalism. Of course you're going to get
0: defensive. Well, yeah. Plus, we don't have any, like, public spaces that are free to exist in. Libraries, baby. The last bastion of free to exist in places. Support your local library. I, I feel like uh, I have just, I I have put us on a tangent for too long. Let's... This podcast is about thirty
1: percent news, forty percent actually talking about the text, and then ten percent means ten percent tangents and ten percent complaining about noises in our respective apartments. (laughs) I'm I'm pretty sure our listeners are fucking amazing. People
0: listen to this at all, frankly.
1: (laughs) frankly, (laughs) Hey, the fifty of you that keep coming back, I adore you. You you are enjoying this, right? You do. just checking
0: (laughs) blink twice if you are under duress um i have them all imprisoned in my basement (laughs) all (laughs) right Um, I'd just like
1: to briefly touch on, um, part of the reason we're vamping so much is because as we mentioned earlier, um, while well, he does make some very salient points and phrases, some points that we've talked about in the podcast, again, in a very like striking way, most of this has been discussed before. Um, but in the section more right than wrong, um, this is when he lays out the tenets of Marxist critiques of capitalism that we can observe today. I'll just go through them really quickly. Yep. Yep. The business cycles and the tendency towards recession, hmm, federal reserve, Hmm hmm, um, capital concentration, referencing the mergers and takeovers that were a running amok in the Soviet Union after the fall of communism. Um, growth of the proletariat, which we can see with the trickle-down effect, we can see with the way that the quote-unquote working class and working poor have exploded. And then proletarian revolution, and Brenti points out, as I thought, that technically this has not come to pass, but he points at the on global class struggle and all of the mass strikes that we see as evidence of the sentiment that underlies a proletarian revolution continuing to brew. And I think this is even more applicable today than it was when Parenti wrote this.
0: Yeah. All all of the tendencies under capitalism are towards exploitation and misery for the working class because that is profitable. And, you know, ideally you wouldn't want to make them too miserable because then they start to fight you. Mm -hmm. But capitalism has this beautiful tendency of making every decision based on short-term greed yeah and that you know tends to lead to where we are now (laughs) where we're at Yup.
1: yep rooney okay what else we got in this chapter i mean i think
0: we've largely
1: that's the thing we've only been recording this section for 40 minutes and we pretty much touched on everything um, We've, and more... and
0: some of this stuff we also talk, uh, talked about last week, like more wealth, more poverty. Mm-hmm. Surprise, actually making rich people richer does not make poor people richer also. It mostly makes poor people poorer because where is that money coming from, I wonder? Hmm, who would have thunk?
1: Um, and then the section of holistic science just goes into what we basically already discussed as well. Capitalism is not what it presents itself as. We can look at the individual systems within capitalism and how they're run, such as the media, science, academia, criminal justice. um, And we can see them all as symptoms of the root cause of capitalism's pursuit of short-term gain. Um, And I do have the quote here because this is when he finally brings up racism. Um, Consider a specific phenomenon like racism. Racism is presented as essentially a set of bad attitudes held by racists. That's that whole, oh, a few bad apples thing. There is little analysis of what makes it so functional for a class society. Class society. Instead, race and class are treated as mutually exclusive concepts in competition with each other. But those who have an understanding of class power know that as class contradictions deepen and come to the fore, racism becomes not less but more important as a factor in class conflict, which we've discussed in Angela Davis. We discussed in End of Policing. We discussed in... A lot of the text yep. that we hear. Yep. Yep. Um this podcast has become the opening of Hank Hill, where we're all just sitting on a picket fence with our beers
0: going, yep. <laughs> <laughs> the sigh of defeat. Yeah, I mean, he sort of ends the chapter with just like a sales pitch for Marxism as a lens, which like, sure.
1: We're getting to the end. Now's the
0: time of the book, I mean. Uh I'll just read one of the paragraphs from the end of the chapter. Is Marx still relevant today? Only if you want to know why the media distort the news in a mostly mainstream direction, why more and more people at home and abroad face economic adversity while money continues to accumulate in the hands of relatively few, why there's so much private wealth and public property in this country, And elsewhere, why U.S. forces find it necessary to intervene in so many regions of the world, why a rich and productive economy offers chronic recessions, underemployment, and neglect of social needs, and why so many political officeholders are unwilling or unable to serve the public interest. Period. Who have you been?
1: (laughs) Oh, yeah. Next time we should pick a book that's drastically different from the rest of our oeuvre. Like, let's Let's just do it. Yeah, let's just pick something wildly out of the norm for us, but also within the realm of leftist literature. Maybe we'll read yeah. Mal. <laughs> uh, who can say? I've been Al Gropey. Um, just a water bottle with a dream. They, they, You can find me. I don't, the monikers I make up for myself don't have to make sense. Come on. They uh, seldom
0: do. <laughs> <laughs> think.
1: <just like>, <laughs> You can find me on Instagram at Al Gropey or on my website if I ever remove the Wix from its name at algropey.com. Colin, who have you been?
0: i mean, Colin Orton. He, they left a slip pod on Twitter. Send us hate mail at gettinginformedpod at gmail.com.
1: Have a lovely day.